that's really like where our story begins of this, this same love of Jesus Christ and being aware of that love as, as young people together and, and really discovering that love of Christ side by side. And uh, that's where our, our journey began. And I'm joined here by Father Matt Face and by Amanda Vernon, who are co-authors of a book that I think that you'll really enjoy. So first of all, uh, welcome both of you to the show. Hey, thanks. Thank you very much. And so your book is about when God wrecks your romance, orthodox faith and unorthodox story. What was the prompting for what sparked you to write this in the first place? Well, there was a Catholic publishing company that actually reached out to me. They're familiar with my music career and my ministry as like a lay evangelist. And they said, hey, would you like to write a book? I said, actually, their question was, what would you like to write about? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I had thought about writing a book, but it was more like just kind of put it on your dreams list for someday, someday write a book. But I, I hadn't formulated an idea of what to write about and uh around that same time that that invitation came my way i had been reading some of father matt's (laughs) writing he's really an excellent writer and i was laughing like doubled over laughing reading about one of his like mission trips that he went on this one summer as this invitation came my way and i was thinking about my own life and sort of what i have to share I realized I really wouldn't want to write a book on my own, but I would love to co-write a book, and uh, I knew just the person to uh, to ask to join me. One way of describing this book is sort of a an unexpected or unusual, maybe a subversion of a love story. Like you have this, you meet each other, it sounds like there's going to be this great romance, but as anyone who listened to the part of the interview where I mentioned the different last names and the fact that one of you is father before your name might have noticed... <laughs> That doesn't. That's not where things end up going in the story. <laughs> Correct. Yes, yeah. So, Father Matt, what did you do when Amanda approached you to, to talk about <laughs> writing such an unusual book? Yeah. Um, at first, I just laughed at her, which really, throughout the history of our our friendship, that's usually just what we do is just laugh at each other. So that's just, uh, <laughs> not out of the ordinary. Um, I, I was excited at the prospect. And, you know, kind of the possibility of the, the ministry that this could lead to and, and the way um, the way we could use you know, the events that we've gone through to, to help others. So that was exciting on the one hand. But uh, on the other, I thought, yeah, but this is this is crazy. Of course, this isn't going to ever happen. And why would we uh, be so bold as to uh, actually pursue that? At the very beginning, I was excited, but I said, like, no. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh-huh. I think you I, said no like many times in a short amount of minutes, actually. <laughs> yeah. No, no, uh-uh. no. I, I believe the next step then was Amanda was saying, well, why don't you pray about it first before you say no again? And I did. And, and, and taking it to prayer, it was an, an experience. And I've, I've had a, a number of these in, in my life already where I, I was clear. I knew I knew what the answer was going to be when I took this to prayer. And I had all of these objections and reasons why it wasn't going to work and in prayer they just all melted away 
it was uh, clear that I was, I was really only left with one good choice, which was move forward. You know, the sense of the Lord um, saying, no, it's, there's a lot of reasons perhaps it might look like this doesn't make sense, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm inviting you to this, so move ahead. That seems to be something of a theme of the book, too. <laughs> right. You think things are going to go one way, you, uh, <laughs> then you let the Lord get involved, and you'd be surprised at that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that yeah. that line from the Old Testament prophet, you, you duped me, Lord, and I let myself be duped. I think uh, that's been, <laughs> that comes up a number of times for, uh, for us, certainly in my own life, yeah. Well, do you want to give kind of a 20,000-foot overview, or maybe you would like to do this, Amanda, just explaining your general stories and kind of the way they're intertwined and uh, where mm-hmm. they've been edited since then? Yeah, sure. So, so our book, as you mentioned, it's, the title is When God Wrecks Your Romance. It's a co-authored memoir. So in a, in a nutshell, we are sharing one specific story, but it's from our two individual perspectives. So we take turns kind of explaining our backgrounds. I mean, both of us were raised in very uh, religious Catholic families uh, with lots of siblings in each of our families. We both grew up in West Michigan. And so in, in a general sense, we had pretty much kind of the same cultural background. But once you kind of narrow in, uh, it seemed like there were so many differences between us. Like, Matt's like such a country boy and I'm like the quintessential city girl and like my my dad's black my mom's Italian I just have this like really vibrant sort of like quote-unquote ethnic background right like Matt's like from the suburbs so um so when we when we met and just like our our personalities as well there seemed to be like such a sort of like difference um that was really compelling for both of us and yet what what really mattered like what kept us grounded and aware of who we were and God, our, our faith and our uh, traditions in the Catholic Church, those were the same. And and that's really like where our story begins of this, this same love of Jesus Christ and being aware of that love as, as young people together and, and really discovering that love of Christ side by side. And uh, that's where our, our journey began. And so how long um, after you met did you, did you start dating? And then for how long did you date? <laughs> we, Good question. We Loaded never, ones, I know. We, yeah. never, we never officially dated. When, you know when you're like in junior high and high mm-hmm. school, like what is dating? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like is it the fact that you like think about this person all the time? Like you carve out time to like talk to them and, you know, be in their lives? Or, or is it like the label that you give it? Like so from a from our perspectives at that point, like no, we weren't dating. But yeah. I've heard a number of people who were like, and then you dated that the, the guy is now a priest. I'm like, well, I, I mean, we did write a whole like love story about our journey. So I, right. yeah, <laughs> depends on your definitions. Okay, fair enough. So how, what was that stage of the journey, however we want to kind of describe it, that stage of maybe mutual discernment? What did that look like? Yeah, I think um, it was it was always uh, centered around these experiences of intense prayer. You know, it was often on retreats in, in high school or something like that, these, these moments of close encounter with God in a, in a real specific way. And uh, we were together in that. And I think that that sense of uh, Amanda and I being 
being there together in the presence and recognizing the love for God is really what continued to to infuse our interactions, and I think um, led to that that state of um, we weren't dating, but uh, we uh, we were close. Yeah, <laughs> something. Well, Joe. So here, <laughs> let me uh, let me break it down a little more. The hook of this story is that we didn't neither neither Matt nor I like knew about our feelings for each other all of those years. So there's like lots of years. I want to say seven years or so, um, <laughs> off and on, uh, where we were thinking of each other, but we didn't. This that did not come to light until later in our story. So um, I guess that's sort of like it's sort of like a romantic comedy, but like about church in that sense where it's not till later where you're like, what? Wait, I thought, no, what you thought, you know? So it's, it was very much uh, a matter of our hearts and like sort of working through that. We, I see now looking back, there was discernment happening. We were working through this sort of trying to figure out where God was calling us and what to do with these feelings. And, but it wasn't something that we discussed at all together, not until <laughs> much later, not until it seemed very apparent that God was actually calling us to these different paths in our vocations. Now, how did you discern that, that God is calling you to the different vocational paths? Well, with a lot of prayer, but um, but I think, uh, as, as Amanda was saying, that it wasn't until much later, especially for me, that I realized how much Amanda cared for me. So that, that But by the time I realized this, and I think by the time we got to a place where we perhaps would have been ready, it was clear that God was already leading us in other directions. So I think timing is a big part of it, and recognizing that it was God's timing of us being able to recognize things, uh, waiting till we were in a place where it was clear yet that there was something else, something something greater. Yeah, the importance of timing in discernment seems like something that's often maybe underappreciated. It's not just <laughs> what's the right answer, but sometimes a question of when is the right answer. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. And you know, Joe, I've heard some... Some some guys, especially, kind of referring to themselves as like, oh man, I was so oblivious. Like, oh, I was these guys are so oblivious, and and there's a lot of that. If you look at our story <laughs> of Matt being just like completely oblivious, like I'm trying to communicate, like I like you so much, and he's just like, what? Never. Um. So, uh, but but you know, I I really see that you could call it obliviousness as a blessing, like. I, I think that the Lord can work through um, sort of an inability to see, right, so that he can then open our eyes at the right time to see what, what he wants us to see when we're ready. Um, and and that certainly is, is something that has been apparent in our story that there were, <laughs> looking back, you can see all the signs are right there, right in front of right in front of our eyes, but it wasn't until the Lord gave us the eyes to see that then that then we were able to say, oh, okay. But we were able to accept it like with peacefulness and in a way that was a blessing to both of us and to the past like, where God was leading us. So I've been reflecting on that exact point um, pretty recently. So by the time this episode airs, I will be a married man. Woo! Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, but the woman I'm engaged to, I'm about to be married to, 
I was friends with two of her roommates and had been in her house like six years ago mm. and like four years before I ever met her. And yeah. so there were so many just bizarre missed opportunities. Yeah. Uh, and then, so after that, I was in seminary for like five years and thought that was my vocational path. So in some ways, I had kind of the opposite story of right. thinking, here I'm called to this. Mm -hmm. And then discerning I'm called to marriage and ending up, uh, you know, marrying someone who I had so many opportunities to meet as a layman years and years before. <laughs> and just, and so then, you know, of course, it prompts like, why God? Why did you, why did you go this long route instead of this much easier short one? <laughs> So I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in my own case, it seemed like a lot of the answer to that question seemed to be about growth, preparation, discernment. Now, obviously, um, God had special things in store for both of you, but it seems like I'm just intrigued by the way he may work even through our obliviousness, our <laughs> unreadiness in some, some interesting ways. Maybe that's more of a Father Matt question in terms of the male obliviousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really oblivious. In a lot of, and I know I still am. Um, yeah, I trust the Lord to show me what I need to see when I see it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's exactly this point you're talking about, of God's timing. I mean, we, we can't ever know the answers to these things, but if you would have met your soon-to-be wife way back then, maybe you just weren't ready. You were going to do something that was stupid, and you just screwed it up, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, we don't know these things. But, um, but a sense of trusting in God to allow us to grow, allow us to be in a place where we're finally ready uh, to encounter whatever it might be and answer with true freedom, right? Because even as I was saying, you know, when we finally realized this, Amanda and I, you know, there were other paths that were already unfolding, but it wasn't that we were tied then to those things mm -hmm. and we couldn't undo. It was that we were able to to look at it with um, completely clear and calm and prayerful gazes and see and choose, mm -hmm. no, this... This is where God is, is calling me. This is where God is, is leading her. So, so what that, was that experience like? If I, if I can jump in here, what was that experience like when you did find out? So how did you, <laughs> how did you both kind of realize, oh. <laughs> okay. Is this, this is okay to give spoilers because this is like the, this is like the, the scene in our book that's like, you're waiting for it. You're waiting for it. So just like spoiler alert. You want to take it, Matt? Or? <laughs> um, you can set the stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, so I had been waiting. I mean, waiting is a the major theme of our story. I've been waiting for seven years to have this talk with Matt where I could finally disclose my feelings, finally let him know how I'd been praying for him, how I'd been thinking of him, waiting for him, not dating any other guy <laughs> through all of high school because I just felt like um, I wanted him to be part of part of my life for the rest of my life and and then um very swiftly and we explained this uh in our in our book but the lord ended up really changing my heart um meanwhile matt's at seminary so that helps um but <laughs> changed my heart and, it doesn't uh, <laughs> and no for real well said. right well said. <laughs> um but the space i should say the space um of him being in the seminary was just that Boundary line. And you're right, though. Actually, I want to stop and, and comment on that, Joe. It doesn't always. I had to really surrender my own um, desires to, like, reach out and to start a conversation and um, to, to move things at, at the pace that I wanted them to move. 
And um, every time I would think about like reaching out to Matt when he was in the seminary, I, I just had this like invisible force field in my heart that would arise and it'd just be like, do not. <laughs> like, well, I just, I could just send him a text and like, oh, stay away. I'm like, okay, all right, okay. Um, just like in my heart, it was so, so clear. So by the time we actually finally got together and had this conversation, I had already sort of um, healed from that heartbreak. I had opened my heart to David, uh, one of my dear friends, and realized that God was calling me to to marriage with David. And it was, it was that most joyful time in my life. It just seems like everything I had been waiting for was now being revealed in a different way, but it was answering those desires of my heart. Um, and so I was, I was so excited with, with my fiance, then fiance David's, uh, blessing to, to, to tell Matt about this finally. Like, look where the Lord has led me. Like, I was waiting for you, but really I was waiting for David and now you get to be a priest. I'm like, isn't this amazing? <laughs> yeah, so amazing is one way to interpret that. <laughs> So for me, it's, it's, she lays that out quite beautifully. Um, all I heard was that for seven years, she wanted me to like make a move or like to do something or to real. And, and I, my brain kind of broke for a second. And I thought, what? 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 You, like Amanda liked me that whole time? Like, uh, oh, wait, what? So after, um, after the, the, the kind of initial shock to that, it, I, I saw just with like crystal clarity all of these interactions that she and I had had over these past seven years and realized like, oh, that was, <laughs> oh, oh. Like the oh, end yeah. of a movie where you're like, how did I not see that? <laughs> Like when she was, oh yeah, I, I see that was of her really trying to make it clear to me, and I just did, I just didn't see. Uh-huh. So what he said <laughs> was, yeah. So I, I was in my fourth year of Sam's. I was, I was about to go off to the novitiate, but I had, I had about four years left. Um, she, 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 I knew she was engaged, and she told me this. Um, so. But as, as my brain was trying to process all of this stuff, like for seven years, like she was she was waiting. But so what you said was. Uh, <laughs> what you said, I'll tell I'll tell you what you said. What he said was. It's not too late, uh, is it? <laughs> oh, no. Which turns out was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> Like, really? Because when I found out you were engaged, I was like, man, because like I always had the biggest crush on you. <laughs> it's not too late, is it? So how did you respond to, it's not too late, is it? <laughs> I laughed. You know, this is a, you know, as we mentioned, we just laughed. It was laughing at each other. So I laughed because I thought he was joking. And so I laughed, and then I changed the subject. And then after, like, a few more minutes, he's like, um, at, but really? <laughs> I have like four more years left in the seminary. And- <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, three three times in the course of that conversation, um, 
Matt asked me last time was uh, pretty poignant. Uh, so, no. <laughs> and um, I knew he wasn't joking. And it was it was really heart wrenching to be sitting across the table from this man who I like fell in love with as a girl, right? Who I'd been thinking about and praying for and waiting for for all these years and just like any other time in my life, like I would have, I was just dying like to hear those words. And yet here we were, I'm engaged to the love of my life. And I'm so convicted uh, where the Lord is leading me. And, and then he's, you know, he's asking me. And so it was this moment of, of freedom of seeing clearly now where the Lord had led us and also where we believed he was leading us, but we were able to choose. We were able to choose in that moment. And I, and I know it's a, it's an ongoing choice, right? Like for me, like my marriage is an ongoing choice to say yes to being faithful and um, as well as, you know, any vocation. But in that instance, it was just crystal clear that the Lord was allowing us to freely choose. And I said, I, I'm choosing David and you're choosing to be a priest. If that's, if that's what you choose. And um, I said, we, we should pray. (laughs) (laughs) So we prayed and, uh, we just said like, Lord, this is so confusing. Why, why you led us this way. And we didn't know. Uh, about our feelings for each other until now and now we're going these different directions but please somehow use this for your glory we know that we've been praying for each other praying for your guidance so we trust that you have been leading us and that you will somehow bring good from this and use this to bless others that's what a a beautiful beautiful prayer (laughs) one of the things that uh I know I was taught in seminary. I don't know, Father Matt, if you if you heard something similar, but they said if you uh, if you aren't free to say no, then you're not free to say yes. That it really is a process of, of growing freedom and discernment. And if you feel like you're compelled, it, that compulsion can happen in a number of ways. Where you feel like, well, I have no other options, or you, you know, like it's good that you you have a very vivid. There is another way. In both of your cases, so that your yes mm-hmm. can be can be freer, where it doesn't it's not even compelled by necessity, it's not compelled by desperation, it's mm-hmm. it's utterly free. And and I think it's a lot harder, that kind of yes, isn't it? <laughs> it means yeah. a lot more, that's for sure. It does. Yeah, well I was gonna say it's um, it's also that <laughs> more sustaining when we know that the, the decision we made was a yes made in freedom and I chose this and I could have chosen otherwise. This, this was the, 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 the choice that I, I wanted and where God was leading me. It's in, the, in those times and when it's difficult, we can rely back on, no, it wasn't just because of this or just because of this was a free mm-hmm. and beautiful choice. That is beautiful. I was, I was going to say, I'm very impressed, Amanda, by your husband and kind of his, uh, his freedom in terms of having mm-hmm. you have that conversation in the first place as your fiancé. Right. And then, of course, writing the book. And I mm-hmm. guess in, in a similar way, I'd say, I'm impressed with the congregation of Holy Cross, Father Matt, for uh, for both of, you know, because I could see in, in each case, uh, 
maybe being viewed that like, they would come off negatively or, or they right. would somehow, you know, like, what? can you speak to, to their roles in all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Matt, do you want to talk about Holy Cross real quick? I'm going to, like, gather my thoughts about David because I'm going to start crying because every time I talk about David, I start crying because I love him so much. So go ahead. Yeah, so with, with Holy Cross, um, yeah, I, I talked about it with my spiritual director who's, who uh, was a Holy Cross priest, my spiritual director at the time, and um, as well as my pastor. I was uh, an associate pastor in one of our parishes when um, all of this came up, and I started conversations as well with uh, our assistant provincial like, is this a thing I could pursue? And in, in Holy Cross, we, we've got a lot of, a lot of, uh, blessings in our obedience to, to, um, to, to strike out in ways that we think are going to be good, uh, for the mission and good in ways that God's inviting us. Uh, so in the history of Holy Cross, we've got these big personalities that kind of strike off doing these own, kind of, not their own thing, but, um, you know, in these bold ways, and people are like, why are you doing that? And then uh, now we have the University of Notre Dame, for instance. <laughs> you may have heard from such things as Rudy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, he's going to start up a college in the United States, even though everyone was in France. Um, but this is where our founder felt like we were called, and um, they're kind of casting off in these bold ways. So there, there's a bit of that in in who we are um, so there's there, there's an understanding like yes if this is a, a legitimate expression of of our ministry then then go for it and, and if it's creative and things um, that, that they're going to be supportive uh, with the understanding that there's going to need to be some level of uh, oversight and, and and checking on, you know what I'm getting myself into but there was um, an amazing level and a, a bit surprised I was uh, the level of trust that uh, the congregation placed in me uh, to say. You know, if if you're talking to your spiritual director about this, if you're prayerful about this, and um, and you think this is where God's leading you, then then we'll um, we're not going to hinder. Yeah, I think there's that sense of surprise though that you know Father Matt references. Like you kind of float out this idea, like, what do you think about me, like writing a book about like my emotions <laughs> and my you know love life. <laughs> right. And as a almost single person. And, right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what do you think? You know, you just, you, you almost would assume that they'd be like, uh, newly ordained priest, like, just do your job, you know? Like, stop. But no, they were, they were just incredibly supportive. And, like, even in our writing process, um, Father Pat Hannon, who's uh, an English professor, also a Holy Cross priest, he's been helping us um, with a lot of direction, a lot of encouragement, and just, like, individual members of the congregation have been um, really vocal in their support. Um, uh, Bishop William Walk from the Diocese of, uh, what is it? Matt? Pensac- yeah, has, he's also a Holy Cross priest, has just gave us like a glowing review. And it's just, that's really reassuring yeah, to know awesome. like it's, it's completely within Matt's obedience and there's not even any sort of like sort of tension <laughs> about it. It's just so, um, supported. Uh, and encouraged and wrapped in prayer. So, um, a lot of my the, classmates, mm-hmm. especially, um, make fun of me for this. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. but that's just uh, good, good brotherhood. So, <laughs> so yeah, I actually I, I was impressed by the bishop's review. I, I saw his blurb. He said oh, yeah. uh, he called it a beautiful, honest, and faith-filled account of love and the human desire for true happiness. 
But he says at the end, we find that God was answering their prayers all along, just not in the way they originally intended, which I thought was such a beautiful description, because I think so often, um, with vocations especially, people will pray like day in and day out, God, just give me this person in my life, or you know, this relationship, or even this vocation. And it's just the way that he responds to those prayers isn't always the way we would expect him to. Right, right exactly. But it's always going to be better than we expect. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing I think that takes so much trust, like the belief that God knows how you're made in and out better than you do and wants your happiness more than you do is something that I think we're so suspicious of. We think, well, if he just knew this about me, he would want, he'd want me to be with, you know, fill in the blank. Right. So, yeah. man, the risk of making you cry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what was it like when you talked to your husband about, hey, I'd like to write a book about an almost ex-boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> well, Hopefully you didn't approach it quite like that. Well, you know, there, David and I don't have any secrets between us. And just as you mentioned being impressed with him at the onset of even having the conversation at all with Matt, uh, when Matt was a seminarian and I was engaged, that has been consistently David's stance is just really one of humility of trusting in God and trusting in me. And like looking back after that breakfast with Matt, when, when I got together and David said, so how'd it go? Like meeting with your friend. I was like, ah, well, that was a, that was a tough conversation. Um, I, I remember David's just countenance just like he just fell and he was like, what is, what does that mean? I said, like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, it means I'm choosing you. He's like, okay. And then, and yet, like, we talked about it, and we decided to invite Matt to our wedding. And David could really see, even, I don't know if he could feel it at the time, but he could, he believed me and tried to see through my eyes of, like, the blessing that it was that Matt had been my friend all those years and that I had those feelings for, for Matt because of how that protected my heart really for ultimately for my vocation, um, with David. Um, I shouldn't say ultimately, but it led me to my vocation with David and ultimately like that, the love that, uh, that each of us share is, is from God is for God and, uh, shared amongst amongst us in the way that God is calling us to express that love. And David really embraced that. So not only did Matt attend our wedding, um, but the first time that we all actually spent time together, just like hanging out, just like going out to dinner, laughing together. Afterward, David, who is then my, my husband by then, he said to me, he's like, it's really hard not to like Matt, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, uh, and then so we, we became such close friends, Matt and I, and like with my whole family, right? Like he became the godfather of our, of our third child and, uh, we attended his ordination. And so like, so Matt really became my, my bet, like my best friend outside of my family. So by the time that this opportunity came up, David was like well aware of this closest that we had also part of it, right? Not just kind of on the outside looking in, but um, intimately like involved in 
our story. Like it's, it belongs to all of us. And so when I told David about it, he was just like, wow, like this could be, he said, he was saying like this story could be something that really is appealing. He's a marketing guy, right? He's like, he's my manager full time. And he's like, this could have an appeal beyond even the Catholic church because like this priest and then you as a recording artist, can you imagine that? And like how it could grab people's attention. We could really tell them about God's love, even in a way that stretches beyond our own Catholic circles. So he could see the potential right away. And in fact, there have been many times through the course of writing this book where I'm like, it's over. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. Like, this is too much. And David's like, can you just come back? Just keep, just keep writing. Okay. I'm like, Hey, I, we can't be friends anymore. He's like, just keep loving Matt. Okay. Just, just love father Matt. Okay. Expect the best from him. You do your best. We're all going to be okay. I'm like, all right. Okay. Wow. So in terms of the people who are reading it or in terms of people who are listening to this podcast, what advice would you give? And I have two groups particularly in mind here. Um, people who are discerning, who aren't currently in seminary, who aren't currently in any sort of relationship, and people who are discerning who are, whether they're in seminary, whether they're dating, whatever. And then I guess by extension, you know, the people who know and love those those two groups. <laughs> what would you say to them? Or what, what advice, what do you want them to take away um, from, your, from your story and the way God kind of wrecked your romance? <laughs> Seek Christ first. Mm-hmm. No matter no matter where you are, no yes. matter, what, no matter yes. what state you're in, yes. if you're seeking to know and love Christ, and then express that love to those around you, then He's going to help you do that. Mm-hmm. And we can we can express that love of God to those around us uh, in any vocation we're in, and it looks differently depending on our mm-hmm. vocation and, and who we're interacting with. Them, if we're seeking to love Christ first. And then have that love be the love that we're sharing to those around us. Then, then God's gonna gonna make that clear how He's inviting us to express that. Yeah, and I would add to that: be not afraid, because when you're seeking Christ first, and when you're praying, you're living out your faith to the best. Of, of your ability, you're choosing Christ, then your life is going to be filled with love. Now, it also might be confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's also going to be painful, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, we have a cross, and like, that's the way this works. Um, but don't be, don't be afraid of that, because that love that you're being called to as demanding as it is, regardless of your state of life, as demanding as it is, is so beautiful. And there's so much joy if you can allow yourself to be open to receiving and also to giving, to giving it away. That's beautiful. I think the, uh, the connection even between the cross and the love and joy is is also probably something that it's not you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it's more mm. like you get that love and joy uh, through the cross. That it's it's they're not really separable ultimately. Yeah, yeah. I would say also then a bit more specifically, if we're seeking Christ first, you know, some, some of the ways that we do that. If you're in a relationship, seek the good of the other. If that's your goal in in this love of Christ, what's going to be best for 
your partner, uh, then that's definitely going to lead you uh, as well to this this place of um, of God calling you. That was that was certainly the case for both Amanda and I in a number of moments where there was options or opportunities or or directions to go. The fact that that we each of us, although we never told each other until later, that we we were desiring what was good for the other person, um, protected us and um, and really helped move us forward into places of of grace. Um, so this desire, not not just how does this person make me feel good, but uh, but what can I do that's truly going to be helping the other? Yeah, I think that's very profoundly put. That it, it isn't about use, it isn't about the other person being able to fill uh, some sort of space in your own heart, but about you being able to to love and care for the other person, even if that means uh, not being their significant other, even if that means, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, um, Father Matt, I imagine you have this experience, like most priests and seminarians I know do, of running into these young men who are dating women while quietly wondering if God is calling them to seminary. Yeah. And it, it strikes me, maybe incorrectly, but it strikes me as profoundly selfish, uh, as being kind of an action of fear, of, of not being willing to, to really cast that into the deep. Um, and, and she's not being helped kind of along the way. I don't know, what would you say to uh, a guy who finds himself in that situation where he's in a relationship, but this is not me, by the way. This is, this is not a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if there was um, someone likes it, they, let's say his name's Joe. Fiance's going to murder me when she hears this podcast. Well, um, yeah, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a, a really common experience. Uh, for guys and and for women as well who are who are thinking about uh, the religious life, you know, are, are they called to be a sister? Um, but they're in this relationship also at the time. Um, and I I, th- I think one of the best things that we can do is be honest about what we think God might be calling us to do in our life. Um, and when I when I joined the seminary, it was because I, I had this question. Um, I was, it was at the end of my, my high school. So I, I entered as a freshman in college, the seminary. Um, and I knew I was 18. I knew I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, but I, I thought God might be calling me to the priesthood. It was a thought that I just couldn't get rid of. And I had no idea how to answer that question. If God was calling me to, you know, I thought he might be calling me to a number of things. I, a teacher, maybe. I knew how to figure out if I was called to be a teacher. I'd go and I'd, I'd study teaching, right? <laughs> or uh, a businessman. If, if I was called to be a businessman, if I thought that was the path, you know, pursue business. Um, and maybe I find out, you know, I, I can't do math, you know, left, right, or sideways. I, I, I ought not be an accountant, right? <laughs> right. Um, so for me, I, I had this question about, is God calling me to the religious life? I had zero idea how to answer that question. Um, and I saw in the seminary this... The, the beginning stages, especially, are all about discernment. Right? I needed to gain the tools of discernment in order to listen to God in prayer and, and ask the right questions and, and seek the right counsel in order to answer that question. Uh, and when I entered, I, 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 I was pretty sure the answer was going to be no. He's not calling me to the priesthood. And then after a year or two, I'd, I'd get out, but I'd have an answer to that question. 
uh, happily that the Lord led me another way. But, um, but I think to be honest about what we believe God might be calling us to do, um, and, and then having the, the, the boldness, the trust, the faith to act on that. No, I think that's fantastic. I think it's, there's a remarkable number of just making sure I'm not called to the priesthood vocations that end up resulting in the priesthood. <laughs> that if, if you open the door a little bit just to make sure he's not going that way, mm-hmm. yeah. it, more often than not, it seems like he, he is. Whereas those of us who might have gone into seminary almost positive we were called to it. <laughs> Sometimes they're equally surprised. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think one way or the other, God's will for us is surprising. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do is I want to share a quotation with you and then maybe just prompt your reflections on it without giving you any real time for, sure. for deep reflection. But it's um, so St. John Paul II has a fantastic meditation on givenness. And what he means is that there are times where God says, I'm giving this person to you. And he says this isn't just for married people, but in a special way even for celibates, that there may be a woman God has placed in your life entrusted. And it's a, it's a remarkable, I mean, the whole thesis is remarkable because so often I think uh, we just think, oh, no, the opposite sex is such a, a temptation or a threat if you're called to a celibate vocation. But JP2 goes a very different way. So here's what he says. He says, God wants to give another person to you means that God wants to entrust that other person to you. And to entrust means that God believes in you, trusts that you are capable of receiving the gift, that you're capable of embracing it with your heart, that you have the capacity to respond to it with the gift of yourself. And then he says, in this way, in creating man as man and woman, God imprints on humanity the mystery of that communion, which is the essence of his interior life. I thought it was... Just profound, right? Mm-hmm. So beautiful. It struck me that in hearing your story, that it seemed like there was maybe a, a case of of being given sort of to one another, and and seeing in a very concrete way that you have this approach where you you view each other as other, as as man and woman, but not in the same way, of course, that Amanda does with David. Uh, mm-hmm. It's you know that it's it's something different than a marital love, but that there's still something, uh, maybe we would say deeply gendered about it. There's, there's a sense of, of encountering the other and embracing their otherness. I, I, I suppose I would answer that with a story. Um, I, I'm first and foremost an artist, so I, um, I prefer to like show you my answer rather than just tell you. Um, but it just immediately calls to mind a moment when uh, Matt and I were still in the, the sort of the depths of discovering what our story could look like on paper. And we were spending a good amount of time on it. And in the meantime, also growing closer emotionally, um, talking through things that were that would not have come up otherwise. And I remember just this moment of I remember where I was in my house in California at the time. I was just sitting on the carpeted hallway um and I was looking up at this image of Mary cradling baby Jesus. And in my heart, I was asking John Paul II for his intercession. I was just really pleading with him. And I'm like, hey, yo, JP2, listen, man, you started this, your whole theology of the body and everything. And now here I am, like, pouring my heart out. And, like, there's so much emotion. And I'm married, okay? And, like, Matt is a 
Reese, like, are we being crazy? Am I, is this dangerous? What, what am I thinking? And I need something clear. I mean, distinctly, I, I can see it. It's like obvious as day. Please send me something because I need some help. Okay. Amen. So the next day I wake up and I check my email and there's an email from Father Matt. And uh, Matt says, hey, did you hear the story about John Paul II and that woman? Oh, wow. <laughs> and he said the, something like uh, mainstream media is freaking out, but I think you and I could understand. And I had not heard anything about this. But what was it? So I did a quick Google search. Google search, right? JP two and woman. <laughs> <laughs> and the first result that comes up is um, Pope John Paul II in intimate friendship with attractive married woman. I like, uh. click on the link, and it's it's uncanny. They were writing a book together. Right, like he he was friends with her. This is Anna uh, Anna Teresa um, yeah. and just this it's 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 a romance. Like you cannot say this is not romantic, right? I mean, it's a it's chaste love between a man and a woman, and respecting of her vocation of marriage and her three children and of his priesthood. And just the depths, though, of, of emotional intimacy. And even, it's just not just emotional, right? You see them, like, on a camping trip, right? Like, in their shorts, like, being just closest of friends, comfortable with each other and each other's presence. And um, even the, the note about, like, how he gave her his uh, scapular that his dad gave to him to wear this close to your heart at all times so I can feel you close to me. Like, what? What? But then I, I, so I lean back from the computer screen. I'm like, the deuce. JP2, what? And then I was just, like, sort of quiet, and I thought, you know, without this woman in the life and in the heart of John Paul II, would we have the theology of the body? That's a great question. I don't think we can answer that. I mean, right? it seems like, yeah. Oh. Uh, I don't know, of course, the answer, but right. I know just from what I've seen that something important was blossoming from from the, the love that they shared. And I felt... Like it was a good answer to my prayer <laughs> and that um, that through the intercession of John Paul II and through staying in prayer and staying united with my husband and my vocation that the Lord is not going to lead me, lead me astray and he will protect and even bring good, good fruit um, through this friendship with Father Matt. That's beautiful. I think, you know, obviously we want to say prudence and being above board and in the light and all of that is, is critically important. And mm -hmm. especially in any sort it of opposite-sex friendship, whether you're married, whether you're single even, whether you're called to a celibate vocation, that it's, I think, a, a critical part of this story, why this is able to work so well, uh, is because it's not some hidden secret, minimized yes. sort of yes. sort of thing. And I think that's something I want to make sure people people get really clearly, that on the one hand, there is that. On the other hand, the opposite sex isn't just a threat it's a way of enriching your life and your experience. You know, I have a, a tremendous number of, of female friends who aren't a threat to my vocation, but actually enhance 
my understanding of the opposite sex, the otherness of woman, and I think make me a better uh, almost husband here. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, almost husband. <laughs> By the time people hear this husband, I've never learned how to, how to say that exactly. Yeah. It's, so, yeah, I it's love well said. That, uh, you know, like, like you said, who knows what theology of the body would have looked like if John Paul II didn't have this human experience. And in fact, in, in his meditation on givenness, he mm-hmm. gives these personal examples uh, to that effect. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think it is uh, really important to see, uh, to not be afraid of um, you know, the opposite sex, to not be afraid of um, people that we're attracted to because you know, that's going to inherently lead us down the wrong path. Uh, no. No, that, that can lead us uh, to great beauty and to a deeper understanding of love and, and of, God's, uh, of God's action in our life. We do have to approach those uh, seeking Christ first, right? But, um, but if, that's, uh, if that's how we're doing this, then it's a great opportunity for beauty, for growth, for love. That's just beautiful. Anyway, thank you both so much for your time. So you want to share the name of your book again for anyone who may be interested in checking it out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the book title and our website is, uh, is the same. It's When God Wrecks Your Romance. So people, if they want to make a pre-order, watch a video about uh, about what we're, we've done here. And you can see my, my cute little kids on the screen and my husband and Father Matt and I are kind of explaining this um, as well. In a nutshell, you'll be able to, to watch that. And if you just go over to uh, whengodwrecksyourromance.com. Thank you. Father Matt, would you like to end the episode by closing us out in a prayer? Yeah, sure. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and loving God, we rejoice in your presence among us today. We thank you for the ability uh, to know you and to share the love that we have received from you with all of those we encounter. We ask, O Lord, that the words we have spoken today may um, be carried by your Spirit and, and touch those who need to hear them, that they may be open to your guidance, to your promptings, and to your love. We ask, O oh Lord, uh, that you, in this moment especially, pour your, your abundant blessing and love upon all of those who are struggling and confused in, in relationships or in where you are leading them. Lord, we ask that they may, in this moment, experience your love and your peace. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. The Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School Faith Institute. To find out more or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schoolfaith.com.